Hi, hello, how are you? I'm long time no talk, but I'm going to try and overload your system this week. Why? Why, you may ask? Um, I've decided to take upon myself to record recaps of Hulu's hashtag not sponsored new TV show that dropped two episodes this week, Death and Other Details. Um, I watched the first two episodes. It was great and I loved it. It was like Knives Out meets Only Murders in the Building. And if you saw the first Knives Out film and then like its subsequent um, sequel, Glass Onion, it had a very similar vibe to that. And then Only Murders in the Building because someone dies. And um, I really enjoyed it. I love Mandy Patinkin. It had a lot of very familiar faces. And I just, when we get there, we get there, I'll explain where I've seen these actors before. And it was just, it was really good. So I thought I would do recaps. They probably will not be as detailed as Only Murders in the Building because I was going to spare my hand in taking notes. For the two episodes, I took 11 pages of notes, which I thought was pretty good. Because let's be real, with an Only Murders in the Building episode, I could take 11 pages of notes on one episode, not two, one. So I thought that was pretty good. So I'm going to record two of them separately so you could see two episodes in your feed, episodes one and episodes two. And I suggest if you have not watched them and you do not want spoilers uh, to go and watch them and then come back. But I guess before we dive in, I'm trying to think if I have anything to catch up on. We did not have a snow day, like the following Monday after the snowstorm that we had here. Uh, we did get out early this past Tuesday because of the snow. I didn't realize it was going to be as bad as it was. And I was like, whatever. And I am glad I left early when I did. Um, it was much appreciated. And... Uh, it just made me realize that I need a new car. I currently don't have a car payment, which is great. And I know people are out there like, don't get a new car if you don't have to. I need some work and probably some serious work on my car. I'm going to need a new timing belt soon. Um, my emergency brake light goes on when the emergency brake has not been pulled. So like, that's not good. Um, the abs light comes up, like my car decides to have abs and then it doesn't. And I'm like, I feel that. And then the traction control light will come on. And these three lights will all come on at the same time and then shut off and then come on and then shut off. So all the fixings that come with those lights could possibly cost more than what my car is worth. And that includes parts and manpower on top of the timing belt and everything that needs to be done and probably some new brakes. So I understand not having a car payment is great, but when you could get your car fixed for what your car is worth and then put a down payment on a new one, it's probably a little safer. I would like a car that has all-wheel drive because I live in snowy climate. Or what is it, front wheel drive you want? Whatever it is. I either want a car with all wheel drive or whatever the other one is that's good in snow. I don't know cars. 
And then I would like heated seats plus the Bluetooth, which leads me to a fun little story. And it enrages me to think about it. So me and my boyfriend go to look at this BMW Thursday. And I had a Beamer very briefly. It was my father's, but I got in a car accident and it literally saved my life. Um, a woman used me to stop. She T-boned me on the driver's side door. I walked away with this like little cut on the top of my hand. That was it. Because of the airbags, it being made of like actual metal. It saved my life. I would have, I would be driving that car if that had not happened and my sibling would have my car. But it saved my life. So I was like, yeah, we can look at this BMW. That's great. So we go drive out to it. First of all, we made an appointment for 5 p.m. They made us wait, which I understand. I get it. Sales tactic. But we asked them to have the car ready. Well, they didn't. So they had to go and like get it from the mechanic, which red flag number one. We give them our driver's license to copy because I understand. They want to make sure it's, you know, we actually have driver's license. They are up to date and everything. Fair enough for insurance purposes. And then... You know, they bring the car out. It's dirty, has not been washed because it's a black car. The first thing I notice, scratch. And not just a scratch you could buff out. Uh, someone keyed this car because you could feel it. Like you run your hand over it, you could feel the scratch. Like it was down to the primer. And in some spots, it was down to the metal. So that was going to rust. And for what I could have possibly been paying for this car, I was not about to do that. And then my boyfriend is going over it meticulously with this like fancy light he has. But of course, he's the mechanic. I'm not. I want it to look good. And if I'm paying for it, like be meticulous, sir, because the fuck do I know about cars? And he notices things here and there. I notice the cosmetic stuff first because that that's how I am. So we take it for a drive and we give him my car key. And I was like, okay, that's fair. Like we're taking this car. They have my copy of my, our licenses and my car key, like collateral, even though the Beamer was worth more than my car, whatever. Um, we're driving it and I go, are we going to have enough gas? Like, are we about to drive and this car stop? And then we just like leave it on the side of the road, walk back and be like, okay, here you go. Like, tradesy keys, because you left us with no gas. So, like, red flag number two. And the third red flag would be, like, they did not wash the car or anything. So, to try and hide these scuff marks. So, that's, like, three red flags against them. Drive it. It felt fine. Um, I trust my boyfriend's judgment. I didn't drive it. I didn't want to. Again, I trust his judgment. Fair enough. Uh, we pull it back up. We look at the interior. First of all, I guess they're not supposed to do this. Left the old registrations in the glove box. Like, this place is great. I'm see me seeing the former owner's, like, info. Shady. Go in. We hand him the BMW key. And here's what irked me the most. The gentleman had my car key in front of him. And he had his hands, like, folded over it like they were his. Excuse me, sir. Those are my car keys. Um, I don't know what you think you're doing, but that is my car. Why are you holding them hostage? We brought your car back. I handed you the keys. Now give me mine. 
I don't appreciate this. Like it was gross and scuzzy and that is not salesman-like behavior. And I know I don't sell cars, but I'm in sales. And that is, that's like me holding someone's credit card while they're shopping and then they don't buy anything. And I'm like, okay, you're, no, that, that was gross. And so then he brings back a paper while we're waiting for this. He has someone else's like title to a different car on the desk. And what was funny was the gentleman that was helping us was training someone else. And all I'm thinking is you suck at this. Why are you teaching this guy? Like that, that was wild. So he comes back with a piece of paper and it says like, okay, here's what, you know, your car is worth. Here's what this car is worth. This is roughly what your payments would be. And my boyfriend's like, no, where did you get this number from? And he's like, well, we looked it up online, like Kelly Blue Book. So this is the price of this car. And this is the price of your car. And he, my boyfriend Andy's like, no, the price of her car should be like 4500 something like that. And he goes, well, we're going to price it at this much, like 3000 I think. And he's like, no. And so the gentleman has like the audacity, like neither of us looked up what the highest value of my car could be. And he's like, well, where'd you look that number up? And my boyfriend goes online via the same website you did. And I had done the same too. So it was just like, sir, please don't play this game because both of us have done our research on my car. And he's like, well, what would you like for a payment? And I tried to explain to him that like I'm paying a student loan and on top of a new car would be a higher insurance price because it's a newer, better car. So like I'll be paying more in, in insurance. I'll be paying more in gas because it takes a higher quality gas. And this guy like was looking at me like, wait, you have to pay for that? Like, it's a lot of money that I could be dropping on a car that I need to keep in mind. I have other bills I have to pay. And I told him this. I looked him in the face. I go, I don't have to buy this car. My car out there doesn't have a payment. And I have other bills I have to pay before I pay a car because that car is mine. I can walk out of here with it. He didn't appreciate that. So I told him the price range I would like for a payment. And he goes, well, what if I can get you that? I go, well, show me the numbers. And he goes, you can't until you sign this paper. And I was like, no, you should be able to. And he goes, well, we need to look up like what you could get for a loan, like what your credit score is. So I being, um, he probably would call me a bitch. He seems like a guy that would call you a bitch because you just don't agree with him. Pulled out my phone, pulled out my banking app and it tells me my credit score. And I go, oh, look, my credit score is this. And I go, oh, they could offer me an auto loan for as low as whatever it is percentage. And I know I might not get that, but I could. And he goes, well, what if I could match that? I go, well, then show me the numbers. And he goes, you have to sign this paper in order for me to show your numbers. And I'm like, no. And he goes, well, I have banks. I could get you that. And I went, great. I have a bank that I have a personal relationship with. That like I could go and get the loan through them, get the check and bring it to you. And like, what does that matter? And I know he just wants more money, but like, sir, no, don't play this game. If I'm paying for it, I'm going to get the best possible deal out there. And that would be like if someone came into American Eagle wanting to buy clothes and I said, you can't buy these unless you get the store card. 
even though you're showing me your debit card or cash, you can't buy these clothes unless you get the store card. Like, no, no. If you want to want to get the store card and save money, great. We'll sign you up for it. But if you don't, which I understand because you have the $60 in front of me, you want to use your debit card. I also understand. Yeah. Use that because you don't want to pay interest on a credit card. I get that. And he wasn't understanding that. And so we were like, well, we're going to think about it in the back of our heads. We were synced and like hard no. And he's okay. So we take the Carfax and like whatnot. And we asked to take the sheet of paper with us that he wanted me to sign. He said, no, you can't take that. But we could take a photo of it. This guy was insane. I don't know where he learned the sales and like this company sales practices. But it was so gross. Because I'm pretty, again, I'm pretty sure any woman who disagreed with him, he would call a bitch. And it was just... It was disgusting and I did not appreciate it and we will not be going back. My boyfriend, when they called him the next day, like pretty much reamed him out as I would too because it was it was gross. And I know car salesmen are supposed trying to get the best deal and I understand that, but they come out with their highest number and they have a low number that they'll go to that they're not going to just put on the table right yet. Like they're going to try to negotiate and then be like, well, we can give you this price, which is probably the one that I want anyway, but they're going to like hardball it. He was just, he was gross. I didn't like him. I'm still on the look for a new car, but I, it was just gross. That's, that's it for like a fun little catch up. Now let's drive in to drive in. <laughs> Funny. Let's dive in to death and other details. Again, both episodes are available on Hulu, hashtag not sponsored. I thought before I did the recap, I would just do a couple little details. The show was created by Mike Weiss and Heidi Cole McAdams. And it stars Violet Bean, who plays Imogen Scott. And then there's a young Imogen that's played by Sophia Reed Gatzert. I apologize if I pronounce her name wrong. And you have Lauren Patton as Anna Collier. Uh, she is Imogen's wealthy BFF. And then you have Raul Colley, who plays Sunil Bahandri. He is the owner of the cruise ship, the SS Varuna. And then you have Hugo Diego Garcia, who plays Jules. He is the head of security on the ship. Then you have Angela Zul, who plays Teddy Go. She is the crew manager. And then Linda Edmund, who plays Agent Hilda Erickson. And then the real star of the show, Mandy Patinkin, who plays Rufus Coatsworth. He is the detective who used to be the world's best detective. And then you... There are a couple other characters that are listed as well, but those were like the top build ones. And when I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes, it got a decent review, but like I could care less what Rotten Tomatoes think. If I love the show, I love the show. And this was the little blurb they gave it. They wrote, Imogen Scott finds herself in the wrong place at the wrong time and becomes a prime suspect in a locked room murder mystery. To prove her innocence, she must partner 
with a man she despises, Rufus Coatsworth, the world's greatest detective. And that was like a brief little overlook of the show. And now we will just dive right in to the recap. And again, these will not be as detailed as Only Murders in the Building. Um, I may have skipped some important stuff. I mean, I do in the in Only Murders as well. I can only look so much. I don't know if there are Easter eggs in it because I miss them in the other show. But here we go. Chapter one, rare. We hear Rufus say, pay attention. Details matter. If you want to solve a crime, any crime, you must first learn to see through the illusion. Um, we see kids playing outside this big, beautiful stone house mansion. And then it opens up into like a dollhouse. And we now see young Imogen. And Catherine, who is the matriarch of the Collier family, is talking about Imogen to Rufus. And we learn her mother has died. And she's describing Imogen as a rare book, you know, a first edition. And she goes on to tell Rufus, you know, whatever he needs is at his disposal. Just let us know. And she also mentions that she is like a daughter to them. And he goes to talk to her and he introduced himself as like the world's greatest detective. Their words, not mine. And she was the only witness to her mother's murder. And he tries to help her. It seems like hypnosis almost flash back to that very day in trying to piece together the details and everything to um, help her remember. And we hear him say, you think it's easy to remember. You are wrong. Illusions are everywhere. And um, now we see an overhead shot and it's panning across a very large cruise ship. And he continues to say, in my 30 year career, I have learned two key lessons. One, do not attempt to bribe a National Park employee in this. What is real is precious and rare. And now we fast forward to 18 years later, which I'm assuming is present day. Uh, we see Imogen looking over the cruise deck and she is talking to Trip about this Chung business deal. And Anna, who is her friend, joins in and they're just trying to fix this mess that has been created. They all overhear some guy yelling at a server for spilling a drink on him. And you can clearly tell it was an accident. She got some sort of cocktail liquid on his watch. And he's like, this watch is worth 50 grand. It is more than what you make in a year. He's just being a real dick. And we've all seen them. And he tells her she would have gotten a tip but like you're not going to and he just he storms off you know like typical rich white man 
Uh, turns out he's one of Tripp's investors in some sort of business deal he has. And Imogen, you know, has something to say. And she says that, like, only true assholes punch down. And she goes to him and, you know, she calls him a garbage person. And he's a guest of the Collier family. So obviously he's, like, not that bad. Or he's there for a reason. And, you know, he's on this billion-dollar boat on a free vacation. He should just learn to say thank you and move on. Like, yeah, your watch was ruined, but, like, you can get a new one. It's fine. And was it ruined? Probably not. It just got a little wet. Um, and he tells her, we don't know this gentleman's name yet, but he tells her, you know, you think you're some crusader fighting from the inside when she's not. She's a no one. She's a hypocrite. And Imogen, like, looks inward and is like, yeah, you're kind of right. And uh, she takes his key card without him knowing. She's like a, a sly little pickpocketer. And then uh, later on, we see her getting into his room, kind of snooping around. She finds that fancy watch of his that the poor waitress had spilled on. And uh, she puts it on the ground and smashes it. And then she leaves it right on the table. And as she is exiting his room, she looks up at the camera and turns around and walks away. Now that is key. Um, we hear Rufus continue to say, Here's a stupid thing people love to say. The simplest explanation is always correct. Why well, never took those cases? And now we see the camera footage uh, fast-forwarding, like security footage fast-forwarding, and he continues to say, I took the impossible ones, and it made me rich for a while. Housekeeping is now entering this man's room. Want to know how I did it? I already told you. Pay attention. Details matter. The maid is cleaning up, going about her business. But then she realizes, oh, this man is dead, and she screams. We now flash back to two days earlier. We see this man entering the boat, taking photos. He's excited. They're going to go on a 10-day cruise. Keith Trubisky is a gentleman's name, and he thanks the family. We now see the crew manager giving a pep talk to her crew, very below deck. Uh, Lawrence Collier is the gentleman who is hosting this cruise, who paid for it. He is retire retiring, and he is celebrating by taking all his close family and friends on a 10-day vacation. And it's important because Anna, his daughter, is expected to take over for the family business. And we learn Anna's wife is a very big germaphobe. And then we just kind of go over the various guests on the cruise. You have Trip Collier, who's an entrepreneur. So basically, he is spending his dad's money in order for one of his businesses to take off so he can make his own money. Basically, he's rich and unemployed. 
And then again, it goes over various other characters, like their lawyer, um, who the a- that actor has been in a ton of stuff. Like, if you watch Justified, he was in that. Um, that's all I can think of him from, but he's been in a lot of things. It goes over the Chun family. They are fast fashion, like, royalty. They are due to invest in the Collier family. Whom is their security? Rufus. Uh, Keith Trubisky. Yeah, Trubisky. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Keith, uh, the murder victim, is proof money can't buy looks, taste, charm, or ability. And as they're saying that, you see him trying to spearfish off of a boat and failing miserably. And then we see Teddy, who is the crew manager, uh, Miss Go, talk to her sister Winnie as she is telling all the crew who was late um, that she's worried about her. And Winnie's like, you don't have to worry about me. And she's like, but I am. I'm scared you're going to try and be like them. And you can't because we don't have the money. Basically saying they can do what they want because they have the money to get out of whatever danger, issue, problem they come across. Um, We now see Imogen. She sees Rufus and she is transported back to when she was a child and he was helping her. And she hide from him like around the corner and after he passes she marches right to the front desk of the boat and she asks to leave a note for him and you know like what room is he in i'd like to like leave a note and the desk lady tells her oh that that's private she's like oh he's not a guest and uh miss go teddy as i probably will just refer to her as intervenes and Imogen tells her to tell whomever hired him that they hired a fraud and to cut your losses. And she didn't write that down. She goes, you're not going to write it down. And Teddy's like, no, um, I will remember it. We now see Trip talking to Keith, giving him an ultimatum that he has till midnight to send his uh, investment or to get off the, si- the ship. And he hands him like the papers to look him over again. Uh, now we see his sister, Anna. She's doing it with her wife, Leah. And they done. They finish. And Anna is proud of her for coming on this trip. She's, you know, kind of a germaphobe, kind of paranoid. And Layla tells her nowhere is safe. And, or tells her, you know, we're safe now. There's no devices listening to us. And, you know, I'm sorry. I'm so stressed out. We have this $3 billion deal. This trip is a great time to make time for us. And she really wants her to be there at the welcome dinner. That is that night because um, they assume that Anna's father will announce her as the new CEO of the family business. Imogen knocks on their door, and then we are at a family meeting with Trip, 
Mr. and Mrs. Collier, Lawrence and Catherine, I believe are their names, Anna, to talk about Rufus and why is this man on the ship? And Tripp's like, what do you have to worry about? He's on a 20-year downslide. Imogen's like, he's a hack. And they're just like, the Chun family's trying to intimidate us. And, you know, they have information on Rufus that can bury him. And, you know, he might have info on them. It's a mutually exclusive deal that's happening. So, like, nothing's going to happen or we're all fucked. Do you know what I'm saying? And we now hear Rufus's voice again. In here, I'm here to help with your mother's case. And... We flash back to 18 years ago. She was the only witness to her mother's murder. You know, it was rainy. There was a chill in the air. And they're just trying to recall that night. We now see her in the car, along with Rufus being in the car with her as they're recreating this night together. And she took something from Anna and her mother tells her, like, you know, you notice things other people don't. And she takes this box. It, it's hard to tell what it was, but it looked like a little charm box, little ring box. And we find out um, Mrs. Collier has a bigger version of it. And it holds an engagement ring to a polo player she was engaged to, but never married. And her mother informs her, you are going to return it. And Imogen, you know agrees even though she doesn't want to and then she kind of has a panic attack in the car while thinking about this like i have to get out of the car but i can't get out of the car if i get out of the car this happens and now we see her flash out of the car and the cart explodes her mother is in it that's pretty much the day her world ended we now see layla leaving her room in a beautiful gown and as she's leaving hers, Keith is entering his, and she hears him going to enter his room. And she turns around and starts accusing him or asking him in an accusatory tone if he has been the one that has been following her all over the world, Sydney, London, New York. And he's like, no, this is like I left... I left my ID in my room. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she keeps pressing him and he's getting kind of like turned off by it. Like, I've literally just met you. I'm going back to my room. And, you know, he goes into his room and she notices the cameras out in the hall. She goes back in her room. Uh, we see Imogen talking to a gentleman at the bar about a painting that was installed behind it. And he goes on to tell her it took three cranes to install. And they're now introducing themselves to one another. And the gentleman behind the bar is Sunil. He owns the boat. And he goes on to tell her that everything you can see on this boat was made before 1955. You know, the glasses we found, you know, in England and Ireland. I, he might have said Wales specifically in Ireland. And the hardest part was the towels. 
And Imogen tells him no one would notice. He goes, no, pe people would notice. Uh, we learn Anna's wife had an accident and it affected her and it affected her so bad she had to quit her job. And we now see Tripp giving a speech about his father, introducing him at this welcome dinner. And then Lawrence gets up on stage and he goes on to say that he's always been a man of few words. And then he gets off the stage and people laugh because ah, it was such a funny joke. Teddy and Sunil are now talking about the Chung family. And they're talking about her granddaughter, Eleanor, and how she has deep pockets, deep as the Mariana Trench. So, like, they rich. And Imogen overhears Rufus talking to the people at his table. And uh, she goes over and she starts talking to him. And he's giving her a look like he doesn't recognize her. And she's offended that he um, doesn't remember her. And she throws her drink like in his face and she flips out and she's carried off by Jules, head of security. And he's telling her like, you need to go back to your room. And she's like, I can't waste this beautiful dress. Like, where's the real party at? Like the crew party, the below deck party. And now they are at that below deck party and they're drinking, they're dancing, you know, disco lights are going dance club music is going they're they're getting into it and then they're into each other and then they go back to his room and as they're making out in what is the security office the camera pans over various tv security screens and the first tv screen the lawyer the collier's lawyer is handing money over to teddy and then we see keith in another one of the screens kind of being shady Cut to Anna and uh, Leah, Layla. I I have the name written down, but I don't know if I'm saying it right. Room. And she's asking about the party and how it went. And Anna's like, it went well. And then Layla mentions the man across the hall. And Anna's like, Keith. And her wife tells her, that guy's not Keith. Like, she knows he isn't who he says he is. And now we're back. There's a lot of jumping back and forth. I apologize right now. And it was hard for me to keep up. We're now back to the day of the murder. And, you know, it's kind of flashing through all the events prior up until Teddy and Sunil are in his room talking about the dead guy on the wall. Um, he was killed by, like, um, the spearfishing gun. He's got it right in his gut, and it's propping him up on the wall. Uh, Teddy Sunil are in his room, and they're talking about it. And it was gruesome, yet somehow poetic. And Teddy looks to Sunil and says, I will take care of it. Imogen and Jules are in her room. The morning after there, you little know, get together. And they're talking. Come to find out they both have lost parents. There's a knock on her door. One of the very security people looking for jewels. And they're talking about room 534 and what went down. 
And Jules is intrigued by this, and she remembers key details that others don't. The keypad numbers, she goes and clicks them, enters into Jules's office. We are now with Teddy. She's having a giant crew meeting about what has happened on the board. On board. Rufus happens to be on board so conveniently. Imogen is going through the camera footage and she comes across about seven minutes that have been erased. It goes from about 2.10 a.m. to 2.17 p.m. or a.m. And you can clearly see at one point her going into his room and leaving it. So she looks like a suspect. And she was the last one seen in his room. Uh, Rufus goes to her room and... Her name has come back to him. And she, she, he looks at her and tells her seven minutes and 23 seconds in his room. That's the time that that is gone. Uh, and he tells her, if Interpool gets that footage, you're screwed. And he goes on to remind her when he cares about the truth. Like, I wrote that wrong. He... Imogen tells him, when did he start caring about the truth? And he goes, I've always cared about the truth, but the truth gave up on you. You never, like, I never gave up on the truth, but the truth gave up on you. And he tells her, we have 24 hours to kind of figure this out. We are now back with a young Imogen. She can't really remember what has happened. Um, but she sees Rufus writing in his notebook and it looks like gibberish. And he goes on to explain it's code. And in order to break the code, you need a prime and certain letters stand for other letters. And he's trying to teach her how to break it. And we learn that E is the most common vowel. But all while he's explaining this, she has figured it out. And she has figured out his code all while he's explaining this. He notices that she is special, like her mother said. And now we see Imogen in Keith's room puking over a trash can. Because this is probably, obviously not the first dead body she's seen. But like, juicy one. Because her mother's body exploded. I apologize. Um, He's inadvertently hired her as his assistant. And he says this is a classic lockroom murder, no way in or out. You know, there's only one door. The windows are sealed. The floor's a floor. The ceiling's a ceiling. There's only one way in and out. And surveillance shows no one coming in or out except for her. And, you know, he's been dead maybe four, five hours. And she goes on to tell him, well, it couldn't be me because, like, I came in here and stepped on his watch and it is stuck at whatever time they said. Like, it can't be me because I smashed his watch and then I left. And the ultimate question is, who would want him dead? Who would want Keith Trubitsky dead? And he notices a smell. And so does she. And she's like, disinfectant? Which means housekeeping was in there. And, you know, who who else knows what the housekeeper could have seen without her realizing it they need to talk to the housekeeper so you see the housekeeper you see teddy and the woman is talking 
Cantonese like very fast and Teddy is listening and you know she tells them she didn't see anything and you know he agrees that Mrs. Go is being protective of her aunt the housekeeper and her crew but she said more than she didn't see anything and Teddy is like taken aback and he's like I've I've dabbled in, in Cantonese and he goes on to say you know the truth will come out everyone is hiding something here and Imogen says isn't it weird that like 20 years later we are both all you know here floating around on some preposterous vacay in the middle of nowhere and some asshole gets killed and Imogen doesn't like coincidences they're just dressed up clues uh, she has read Rufus's autobiography because those are words out of it. He refers back to his books a lot throughout these two episodes. And something bigger is going on and they can only rely on themselves and whatever this weird relationship is. And they need to figure out who is messing with them. Rufus is doing the same thing he did to Imogen as when she was younger, trying to build up the night's events as best as she can recall. She goes in, puts the key card on the table. She notices his room is a fucking mess. There are ketchup stains on the carpet. There's a shirt on the chair. Pink Gabera. No, a green Gabera. She gets frustrated in trying to remember, and she doesn't trust anyone and Rufus is like no you don't trust yourself and you know she takes a deep breath and remembers no like there was a bar cart in the room and that's how they realized the killer got in and the killer knows something about Imogen too because they saw her going for the watch so like the killer was probably in the room when Imogen was in the room and if she sees this through, you know, she'll possibly be in danger. And she kind of already is because the killer knows she was in the room. And now the killer knows she's going to try and figure this out because she's going to be blamed for it. And she's not about to be blamed for it. And the green Gabera was hung up on the cart. And... You know, the person got into it, hid in the hall to be taken away to wherever it is they go. So Imogen does the same thing. Goes into it, see where it goes. And it goes into a, the galley, like the kitchen, the restock area. There are no cameras there. And they're in the galley. Rufus meets up with her. You know, they should go see the the security footage and find this that and the other thing and Imogen realizes Rufus has already done all that he's already figured all that out he just wanted her to figure that out he had a hunch uh, he tells her that she's good at this and even at 10 she had a gift and she's like but you dropped my mom's case and he tells her it's more complicated than like what she thinks it is 
and he was and is on her side it's probably the case that got away from him and like what broke him and that there's a reason that they are on this ship together and she leaves and goes to tell her you know like if you leave you will not leave a mark on this world and you want to leave a mark on this world and now we flash back and we find out the name victor sams somehow he was part of the explosion that killed her mother and he had been working on her, her mother's case for three months and so far he's just got this fake name we see imogen in a bar cart while he is telling mr and mrs collier this as a child so it's like kind of all wrapped into one and i kind of have an idea on that i'll i'll explain it at the end and he promises to he'll see it through uh imogen is now looking for jewels sunil sees her and sidetracks her a bit and takes her on a boat ride and she has picked up on some things on Sunil. He has cut his hair recently. He's lost maybe 10 pounds. And he goes on to tell her, well, I broke up with my girlfriend. Um, she told me he, she liked me better as a banker. And I was no fun. So instead, he quit the business, put all his money into the ship. He feels like he has purpose. He feels like he has made his mark. Very telling of what Imogen wants to do. We are now back in her room and she pulls out Rufus's book and highlighted from his book, we hear him say, pay attention, details matter. If you want to solve a crime, any crime, you must first learn to see through the illusion, but you'll never succeed with just one pair of eyes. That's where I always work with an assistant to dig out the truth behind every lie to walk, walk you from, to wake you from a week long drunk, if need be to sort the run of the mill liar from the prime suspect. We now see the lawyer, Lelewin, I think that's how you pronounce his name, talking to Tripp about Keith and how he was killed with a harpoon gun. And we now see all the guests gathered together on one of the ship decks, chatting amongst themselves, and the episode ends. I, or is about to end, and we see a flashback um, Rufus has not found Victor. He's done looking. He's walking to his car because he's leaving the Collier's house. Imogen is crying. She's upset. Like, you were going to find my mom. We get a closer look at the driver. The driver is Keith. It's that Keith. The Keith that is dead. They were working a case. And Imogen volunteers to talk to Rufus to be the first guest to be questioned. And now the episode ends. I jumped the gun.
the harpoon gun, if you say. <laughs> My thought is, and this is solely based off of the first episode, we don't hear anything about Imogen's father. I want to say the Collier, Mr. Collier, Lawrence Collier is her father. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. But if I think anyone killed killed Keith, I would think it was the mother, Catherine Collier. That's my thought. But that is the end of episode one. Again, I, did, I didn't do as detailed notes as I would have for Only Murders in the Building. But it was a great episode. Um, I think everyone should go and watch it. I would also love if you want to rate, like, and review this episode wherever it is you listen. Um, I will be coming out with the second episode very soon. I'm going to try and get all three done this week. It's going to be a lot. But I'm going to try. I'm going to get better. I think this will help me get back on track. Uh, follow the show on Instagram, something.about.podcast. Again, rate, like, and review. Watch the first two episodes of Death and Other Details. And I'll see you when I see you. Bye.